Hello, my friends and family around the world. Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Gun Show presented by MTD Global. Guys, I am super excited to be with Industrial Tool today. And it's not just one guy we get to talk to or one girl we get to talk to. Today, I'm surrounded by a team of experts. I got four folks with me today. So let's introduce them one by one. I got Patrick, who is president and CEO of Industrial Tool. I got Matt, who's a quotation engineer. I got Steve, who's the engineering manager. And I have Lauren, who is the godfather of machine tool business. So we're going to ju jump into things right now. And uh, I'd like to just introduce this by saying, let's get ready to podcast. This is the gun show. Nobody laughed at me. I tell you, I'm just not funny today. It's, it's early in the morning. I forgot my coffee, but let's get going. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing fine, sir. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. And let's go around the room. If you guys wouldn't kind of mind doing your own introduction and maybe a two, three minute uh, segue about yourselves, that would be awesome. Sounds good. Well, I'll go ahead and start, Tony. First of all, thank you for having Industrial Tool join you on the podcast. We're excited about it. We're excited about what you're doing in the industry and certainly following closely what's happening on social media and other platforms. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, all the material you're putting out there and bringing some energy to a business and industry that, that desperately needs it and, and needs exposure. So before I introduce myself anymore, I want to say thank you for what you're doing. Uh, but uh, My name is Patrick Helm. I am president and CEO here of Industrial Tool. Uh, I've uh, been in the industry for uh, roughly 30 years in uh, different capacities, different areas of the business, uh, from machining to cutting tools to now uh, five years here at ITI. And really enjoy the industry, enjoy the people that, that work here and the customers that we work with, and really excited about where the industry is going, and excited about the work we do, and working with uh, guys like you, Tony, and, and the guys in this room who improve processes, help customers make more money and do it in the U.S. I appreciate you saying all that, Pat. That's awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly an authentic thing to truly care about the industry and make sure that we're doing everything we can to, you know, provide success um, to the to and solutions to the customers. So I appreciate you mentioning that about the social media and follow along with MTD. Um, it, it means a lot. And, and we're glad that people pay attention because, uh, the manufacturing industry can stabilize an economy. We know that. We know that you can have a good job for your entire life if you're in this industry. And, you know, it, it's a roller coaster like some other places as well. But the roller coaster is not as, you know, I guess stressful because this industry, we make everything. We make everything in the world and all together. Um, if we're not looking at everyone as competitors, but as friends, we can really generate some amazing stuff to help people walk and see and fly and drive and talk to one another around the world, whatever it might be. So I do truly appreciate you saying that. Lauren, would you like to go next? You're the uh, godfather I hear. So maybe you have uh, a little bit about yourself you'd like to share. Well, yeah, my name's Lauren Kranz. I wouldn't say that. I just said I've been around for a long time. <laughs> I started out in machining in 1973 Went to work for Industrial Tool in 1979 as a tool and die maker and uh, just have watched the industry change. I mean, 
the one thing industrial tools did, I think, is it evolved over the 40 years. And uh, I'm excited about the fact that uh, automation is becoming a bigger part of the machining industry because uh, it actually uh, kind of lagged behind a lot of other industries. And I could never understand that. We kind of felt like we did some automation like back in the 90s and we were out in front of it and people didn't have a real interest yet. So uh, now it's really maturing and, and that's great to see. I mean, I know a couple of guys that were in automation uh, and trying to sell in the automotive industry and uh, machining industry like 25 years ago and they didn't do very well. Uh, they It lagged for a long time, but now everybody that's tied to machining is looking to automate. So uh, I've seen a lot of change since 1973 and I'm actually Pretty excited, I think, about manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, because what automation does, it levels the playing field. So well, I certainly admire um, the wisdom that comes from someone who's been doing this since 73. In, in all honesty and, and all jokes aside, there has been a massive amount of change. Um, oh. You know, even, even in my short span, and I'm sure everyone else in this room can agree, but knowing that you've been doing it since 73, I would just sit down in a room with you and give you a couple glasses of beer and just let you talk and, uh, and see what we could squeeze out of you. So awesome. I'm so, I'm so grateful that you're here, Steve. I see you over in the corner over there waiting for your patiently waiting for your turn to introduce yourself. Would you like to uh, tell our audience a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. Tony. Um, I just wanted to thank you. Like Pat did, you know, you're bringing a lot of exposure to the industry. Uh, a lot of younger people, my generation, the millennial crowd, you know, machining isn't as hot of a topic as some of the other things that are going on in the world. Um, guys like yourself, um, a lot of YouTube people, guys like Elon Musk are kind of driving that, um, which is which is great. You know, I kind of stumbled into ITI when I was in college, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, Tell them what you did. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was trying to do with my my engineering degree, and I got offered an internship at ITI to work in the shop. So I was the toolmaker's, um, yeah, the guy that got to do all the stuff the toolmakers didn't want to do. <laughs> So they allowed me to see all the shortcomings that engineers have and allowed me to see how a good engineer behaves and thinks about the entirety of the process. You know, you can draw anything you want, but ultimately you still got to be able to make it. So I learned a lot from those guys. Um, I worked at ITI for two summers and it was great. Built a lot of equipment. We were building dials. Lauren taught me a lot about dials. Um, Lauren stopped me a lot, period. And then I came full-time to ITI as a designer, um, worked through that, worked in this, um, as a production manager, um, constantly just learning and improving and just um, trying to see where, where this takes us. And, you know, I've only been at ITI eight years, but I've seen the, the, the trend towards automation more and more. We continue to get you know, more and more automation coming through and just a lot of people trying to become more competitive, like Lauren had said, with everybody that's going overseas. So it's just good to see, good to build it in America. And yeah, thanks for having us on, Tony. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and Steve, uh, I'm going to come back to you in a minute after we uh, do a couple more, you know, introductions and stories. Really, we're just we're leaving out Matt right now. So we'll, we'll go over to him. But I want to revisit uh, I want to revisit your story, because something I like to express on this show is hopefully the inspiration um, to help other people that are curious about this industry, maybe maybe the fence riders, you know, they just kind of sit there and go, well, my mom wants me to be this or my dad wants me to be this. But, you know, I've been playing video games my whole life. And I think video games really correlate to beating my score on a CNC machine or programming a robot and letting the robot do the video game for me, you know, virtual reality. So um, I'm going to have a question for you coming back. We'll revisit that in just a minute. But next Let's uh, introduce ourselves a little bit, Matt. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Why are you here? Do you like your job? I'm not going to get you in any trouble with Pat over there. You can leave the last couple out. No oh, pressure, man. Oh, don't worry. Uh, um, you can't get me in trouble with Pat. We're socially distanced. He can't, he can't hit me. But uh, <laughs> my name is Matt Lundin, and I, I got into machining in 1996. Um, I spent uh, a majority of my working years as a, a, a cutting tool maker or manufacturers. So I've done, I've done a, a tremendous amount of manual work. Um, and that is kind of a, kind of a dying breed. Those guys that do that, uh, are, are fluting those drills by hand and, um, you know, making things by hand without a CMC, you know, a tremendous amount of, um, manual work. And, um, I'm not saying that that's, uh, <clears throat> that's a bad thing, you know, to, uh, robotics and automation have really, um, improve that, but um, that's kind of a, a, a dying trade. Um, but uh, I've been at ITI for about four years, and uh, you asked as far as uh, liking my job, loving it. I think this is a tremendously uh, impressive place to work with. I work with a lot of extremely talented people um, that uh, that really make things that seem impossible to even our customers, you know, just normal. You know, it becomes just a normal. Uh, practice for them to be able to use. And uh, to piggyback kind of on, on Patrick and Steve, um, you've done a really nice job. I'd like to give you a compliment, you know, as far as, you know, to, to add some light to how important manufacturing is. I do a lot of um, social media here at ITI and um, I've shared a few of your posts, but um, you shared a post where a, a young man that was colorblind got some glasses that allowed him to see in color and then, um, just a couple of weeks ago, you had a woman who had a, a bionic arm. And um, people don't realize how important that is. And, uh, you know, that didn't just show up. They, somebody had to make that. Somebody had to design that and then work the bugs out of it. And um, it, uh, it's just really good to bring some light to this because it's uh, manufacturing is impressive, even though a lot of people don't, you know, it seems to be losing some interest. But it, it certainly can't. Otherwise, we're not going to make anything new help people you know, with their lives. Uh, Matt, thank you for noticing that and bringing that up. You know, those are the type of things, and you guys are probably similar, but those are the kind of things that, that bring me chills, man, and, and get me excited, you know, to know that that person is able to do, you know, with that bionic arm a bit more, if not almost everything that they were able to do previous, right? And that, that kid just full of tears with those glasses because he was colorblind. And, you know, there was one a while back even further um, someone who couldn't walk at all and was able to have some surgery thanks to the engineering world and create something that allowed that person to walk again. And then there's the thoughts and ideas of what's coming in the future. Um, 
There's one that's, you know, trying to clean up those giant trash piles we have in the ocean right now. They're massive. So how can we scoop that up and clean? This all comes from engineering. And, you know, Elon Musk was already mentioned. I think that is a great motive as well. Um, and I definitely want to get into, you know, some of the specifics of what you guys do because your company is, is incredible in its own, in its own right. Um, but before we do that, as I've already gone around the room, I want to go back to Steve real quick because you guys all kind of laughed when he started telling his story and how he got into it and, and that kind of thing. And something I like to do on this show, Steve, in, in, in case you haven't listened yet, is um, I like to try to connect with the younger audience. And I, we've mentioned this a couple of times, but the younger audience to say, why the heck would I want to be in a dirty, grumpy, oily, stinky machine shop when we we in the industry know Although those exist and there's a great place for them, that's not all the places. And there's a lot of places that are now just you can eat off the dag on floors. Right. So I always like to connect with someone who's somewhat new in the industry. And and maybe if it's even somewhat accidental to be where you are kind of a thing. What would you what would you tell the kids that just have the curiosity right now in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade? that are, you know, sitting around the house unsure of what they want to be. You know, I knew I knew I wanted to be a professional soccer player. That didn't work out. So here we are today talking about engineering. But I would love to hear uh, just some of your thoughts. And if you want to give advice, you're welcome to. But just some of your thoughts on that transition. Yeah, so I guess uh, I went into, I guess I just, let me just go back to, I guess, what happened to me and how I, came to be at ITI or came to get into this industry. Uh, in high school, you know, I I kind of breezed through high school, whatever. Um, and it was kind of just, let's do engineering school. So I went to Iowa State. And first couple of years, it just it wasn't, it wasn't like, this is it. I didn't have the light bulb moment. It wasn't, um, it wasn't true yet. I just, I was kind of meandering and didn't really know. And I think, you know, that's my generation. My brother is, he still hasn't figured it out. Um, you know, <laughs> everybody has that where they're just, I want to do this, man, I want to do that or whatever. And um, actually, I was at Christmas and my uncle, who was a sales engineer here, <laughs> Said, what are you going to do with your with, with your degree? And I said, well, I don't really know. Maybe go work at you know the typical Iowa response was go work at John Deere. <laughs> and he, he laughs. Yeah. He goes, you get so bored working at John Deere. And I go, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, nothing against John Deere, but you know, it gets pretty repetitive. He said, you're kind of you need that that constant simulation. Now, I have a lot of friends that work at John Deere, and they love it. So I'm not, this isn't bashing John Deere. This is my personal path. Um, so he called me a few months later and said, hey, if you want it, the internship at ITI is yours. It's not your traditional engineering internship. You're going to be working as a grunt in the shop. I said, let's do it. Let's see what it's about. So I came up here. I walked in and there's, uh, three Mazak 630s <laughs> sitting here with a R2000 Fanic in the center of it with uh, 3D vision on the end. And I'm going, whoa. And then in the corner, there's a couple of custom ITI 
uh, rotary index machines, and they were just being built. So I got to watch those built from the ground up that first summer. I got to work on the large project with Mazax. That was a lot of fun, did that install. Um, and it was kind of like, I don't want to say it was a click, but it was, okay, this is, this is engineering, you know. You really don't know until you've set foot in a place like this or in some of these machine shops. You know, there's, there's, the city of Minneapolis has just a ton of opportunity for that. Um, a lot of cities in this country, a lot of areas in this country, even rural areas have a lot of manufacturing going on. And you just don't really know until you try it. Um, I guess the big thing is, is just, the millennial way has never been to pick a path and you kind of just have to pick a path and just figure it out. And I'm really glad I'm here. And I've learned so much in the last five years that sometimes my parents even go, I can't even believe you've gotten to where you are just because it's just been, just been a great opportunity. So I have a, a quick segue from that, and then we're going to go over to Lauren real quick. But um, I'm doing a, a podcast soon that's called uh, Moms for Manufacturing or Mothers for Manufacturing. If your mom is proud of you for what you've done, I'd love to have her on the show just to talk about how proud of you she is. Um, but you also mentioned uh, that sometimes a job can be boring and repetitive. So I want to move over to Lauren. You've been doing this since 1973. What have you done to remain inspired since then? Well, I'll tell you what, in 1973, CNC didn't really exist. Uh, there was some NC equipment just coming out, you know, that read a tape or worked off IBM punch cards. And that was always an adventure because every time you hit the button, you didn't know what was going to happen because <laughs> you had to read the tape every time it made a part. And if I misread the tape, the machine might take a ride. <laughs> So it's changed a lot. I mean, when I started out, everything was manual. You were turning cranks. Uh, machines use hydraulics. Uh, you'd set your feed rates by, you time it, how fast it feeds in four inches. Okay, I need three thousandths per feed. You have to figure that out. You keep adjusting the hydraulics so you get that. So it's come a tremendous distance. But I mean, when I started out, I did uh, actually worked for Toro for a while. And I did a lot of setup work there. And I was a good setup guy, terrible operator. I'd pile crap up all the time because <laughs> I get so bored with it. So they kind of figured that out. So I got to set up a lot of machines. And that's the interesting part. And I think the thing that the robotics brings to that is now you do the interesting parts. The robot does the, the boring, repetitive things. And you're, you uh, watch tool life, you monitor quality, you do all these other things that have a lot more interest in standing or shoving uh, parts into a spindle. So what happened for me was I, uh, I just kind of evolved, uh, went from being uh, doing uh, setup work. I mean, the first job I had, I ran a radial drill, which nobody even knows what that is anymore. Uh, but uh, went from that to doing uh, tool making work and came to work for industrial tool as a tool and die maker. And we were, it was Fat City. We did work for Honeywell Defense and, you know, couldn't go wrong. We uh, did really well for quite a few years. And then uh, 
Honeywell decided to get out of the defense business. So here we're standing here like, what do we do now? So uh, we started to scramble and one of the owners at McDonald, he always liked building equipment. So we got into building equipment. Uh, we, it was always like 25% of the business, now it became 100%. But long story short, what happened is it just the company kept evolving. So it was always interesting. We went from being a tool and die shop to building uh, special built machines to start doing turnkey systems to doing turnkeys with automation. So over that period of time I worked here, the company really reinvented itself three or four times as far as the uh, where we were going. And it was kind of based on just trying to understand what the industry needed. Where is it going? I mean, for a while, we built so many dial index machines. We just always had two or three on our floor. And it was because machine tools, the CNC, weren't that fast yet. So you could compete. The horizontal machining centers were uh, expensive. They were slow. So you could build this special built piece of equipment. A lot of times you did off angle work and things like that. And you could easily compete against a bank of CNCs. Well, as you can see, what happened is the machine tools are getting faster and faster and cheaper and cheaper. And you start to look at, can we sell this anymore? Well, it's starting to look like it's only going to be a, for a very specialized process for 75% of the work. It's no longer going to make sense. So we said, we got to start getting into doing tooling standard machine tools. And then after that, it went on to the robotics. I mean, it was just kind of a, a continuous, uh, evolution and the big thing about ITI and robotics is you shouldn't automate a system if you don't have the process down path. If that process isn't good and solid and proven, don't put a robot in front of it because it just gets frustrated. So first always prove out all your tooling, your fixturing, do your capability studies, prove that the process is sound, then bring the automation in and you'll love it. But it's, a, it's an important step. Well, the reason I wanted to ask you that question is because I'm going to give now a cliche stereotype answer of or response of, uh, you know, never sit in the comfort zone. Right. Like you, you just explained going from tape all the way through the process of where you are today and, and, the, and the ability to stay inspired through change. But a lot of people you know, remain stagnant or fearful of whatever it might be of losing their jobs or learning something new or, you know, that kind of thing. And I think it's important for people to realize that in order to grow, we must grow with what's going on and not be afraid. So that's that's the reason I wanted to ask you that question. And, and your story is is perfectly worded exactly for the reasons I wanted to share it. So, Pat, ITI, I thing. you may you should be afraid of losing your job, but then don't sit on your hands. Figure out what you got to do next so you don't lose your job. <laughs> that's fair enough. I try not to be afraid of anything, but but yeah, that's very fair. Let's 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 learn. Yep. <laughs> There's such a good thing as that kind of motivation as well. Uh, but Pat, ITI, an industry leader in providing work holding fixtures, turnkeys, custom machines, and robotic automation systems. Let's dive into that a little bit. What do you guys do? How do you help the industry? I know it's a really short question for a really long and detailed answer, but I'd love for you to dive into it. Yeah, I think what we really are more than anything is, and you get on the key points, but we're an engineering firm that gets involved in a lot of projects that are in a pre-market 
data. So we are working on things now that may not be into production until 2022, 2023. So uh, we get to get involved in really uh, emerging markets and products. Uh, obviously, now the a big shift in the automotive industry is moving toward electric vehicles and, and the components and, and those items that are going to go into those vehicles. So, and these are things we've been working on. Lauren, Lauren uh, probably has seen them before I did, but I remember looking at some of the electric stuff uh, five, six, seven years ago, and no one really knowing where that's going to go. And we're still kind of figuring that out, but it's becoming more clear, I think, on that. And, and we get involved in those kind of new projects. And, and we get we usually earn work from our customers on those projects because of our experienced staff and the ability to bring a lot of engineering horsepower in one location where we, we do the design and the build and the programming and uh, bring the work holding and the machine tool and the automation and even uh, inspection or custom machines around uh, standard machines to reach the capacity that customers need as far as annual volumes and like that. And to do that in one spot with our own direct employees, our own uh, manufacturing facility uh, is really unique where there are other companies that do those uh, different uh, fragments of the industry, but uh, to do it in one spot is really unique. And that's usually what earns us the business for really challenging projects. Sometimes projects that, that nobody else wants to do. Is that a fair statement, Lawrence? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, actually the challenge thing I always enjoyed about working in industrial tool was we didn't build the same thing all the time. It was always something new. It was always going to meeting with the customer. It's always trying to figure out how to better skin the cat and how to beat the competition. Uh, so yeah, I think the fact that uh, when we bring a project in, the first thing we do is uh, we take the engineering group and try to evaluate it rather than just uh, sit down and write a quote and send it out. I always said the last thing you should do is quote a project. That's the last thing you do is send a quote out. You better have clarity with the customer of what their, their requirement is, what they want, how it's going to work and all that. And then by that time, you and the customer both know what the expectation is now you quote the project. So uh, I don't ever remember getting a project in and looking at it and sending a quote without talking to a customer and trying to understand what they're interested in. And I think that when I'm interviewing candidates for our production or, or engineering department and more specifically, I often refer to this as a job that would be an engineer's dream because it is really based on creativity. And you really do uh, think through the problem, develop the solution, and it, it really has some depth to it. And it's always different. And our engineering staff is really involved in the quoting process. Uh, and then obviously through the build process on the solutions that we create. But it, it has so much variety. And now we've diversified the company in so many ways in so many industries. Uh, it, it really drives a, a lot of interesting work across the engineer's desks. And maybe Steve can comment on that in his time as he came in as a mechanical engineer. That, that I think is what's intriguing about what we do. And I think it, it's motivating to young engineers. Yeah, it, it, 
you got to keep it interesting, you know. I guess there's there's plenty of people out there that can do the same thing and be repetitive. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is it's never the same thing twice, and it's mostly stuff that is I would put in the category of high level difficulty as far as automation. Most of the machining we do is our applications department does an excellent job just getting through some of the more difficult projects that are out there, you know, poor tolerances, um, tool life management specs. You know, a lot of customers they want it to run for 24 hours on the network. So you've got you've got so many problems that you know just chip management can become a huge issue and you're just you don't even think about it. So the engineers really have to have a true understanding from um, start to finish. You know, you go to other companies and you're you're a design engineer and you're just releasing prints. Well, here you're a design engineer. You have to also think about how the, the automation is going to be programmed to some degree. Um, that was always one thing that I really had to, to get my hands around because I didn't account for their needs, it would hurt us on the back end. So you had to be able to, you got to be able to just think logically through it, um, account for everything the, the controls engineers, robotics engineers are going to want and need. And it's a, it's, a, it's a collaboration with the three or four engineers on every project just to, to get through a design phase, kick it out, and then you have you know your issues in the build phase. So you're constantly making adjustments, and you're you're uh, working through problems. Uh, it's not just hand it off, throw it over the wall, and move on to your next task. It's your your project is yours. You know, and a, the engineers really have embraced that here, and they have a lot of ownership, which I think you know translates to satisfied customers in the end. Right, that was a really, really solid answer from all of you guys. Um, I'm looking at your website right now, and we're looking at your single point of contact from concept to implemented solution. And this means from work holding fixtures, robotic automation, turnkey applications, custom machining centers, you guys really do support someone from concept to completion, right? And so I guess what I want to do, even though you all explained it a little bit, if I'm a customer, and I have an idea, how would we go about, you know, touching base with you and implementing any strategy that I might have and move forward with it? Well, I think generally when we start that process, we're going to first, it always starts with the part, what you're trying to manufacture, how many, uh, how you're doing it now, are you doing it now? Uh, and, and like Lauren had expressed before, we start with the part, start to understand the process and work backwards from that uh, to develop what is best going to get us to that point at the end. And that, that's really how things start is looking at the part and understanding how things got to get machined. Is it a part that's going to be, or a process that's going to be uh, sufficient or a good fit for robotic automation. Do we put that around that? Uh, but it starts in the part and works backwards. 
and from that process, we go through a lot of discussion and understand what the customer wants to do. We don't have anything here that would be a standard process or a way that we approach anything. It is really developed with the customer and oftentimes visiting their facility, asking a lot of questions, talking to their people, how do they want to do it, what hasn't worked before, uh, lean on some of our, our expertise in, in ways that we would want to do it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's going to end up. And, and then get to the point of here's a budgetary number, how you want to do this. Uh, is this going to be in your budget? If not, then we start peeling back some things. And what, what do you want uh, to really accomplish with the dollars you have to spend and what makes sense? Uh, and then we get to a quoting phase. But like Lauren said, it usually is several weeks before we actually get to a quote. There's no rush to the numbers until we know it's a real solid uh, project for, for ITI and, and for the customer. Uh, we oftentimes expose things they haven't thought about. I was, yeah, to, I would say that, you know, we get the, the request for quote in from the customer and most of the time they don't really know what they need or what they want. A lot of times uh, they've been awarded a project. They don't really know how they're going to approach it. So what I would usually do is I'd get the, the drawings and I'd look at it as far as uh, how feasible is it to manufacture by different processes, by the tolerances and things like that. And uh, then, because I'm an old fart, I'd sit down with a yellow pad of paper and I'd start roughing out different scenarios because no matter what you say, in the end, cost matters. Uh, there's always some advantages in certain processes, but also the bottom line is how much it's going to cost in the end. So I would look at maybe two or three different scenarios and just to rough out a cost to say, you know, okay, now I should go back to the customer and say, you know, here's a couple of different processes and here's just a really ballpark number. And let's just talk about these different processes and what they do and why we would do it. And then take it from there and then go into the quoting phase after you have the understanding of maybe it's the customer says, I've got no floor space. That might lead you towards a piece of dedicated equipment that takes less floor space. Or, or I don't, I want to automate this or I want minimum part streams. It's all these other things that you have to draw to the customer because you can't properly quote it and determine how to uh, design and build the system until you understand every how their plant works, what's important, floor space, number of employees, uh, part streams, all these other things. So that's just discovery period of two or three weeks when you're working with people trying to understand uh, what the right approach is. Well, I would like to learn, and I don't know if we have time for all of you to individually share your stories. So maybe between the four of you, because you know each other best, who has the most exciting, coolest, hardest, uh, most difficult implementation of a process without giving away company names or proprietary rights? Which, which one of you can share a story with our audience saying, you know, the most exciting one I ever did was I was a part of blah, 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 blah. And this is what we got to do. Um, add a bit of inspiration for these kids to go, shit, I want to do that too. <laughs> well, I'll start, I'll start with a quick one. And it really comes out of last year. I mean, obviously COVID still having a, a tremendous impact in the business, but uh, we in March and April of last year, we had just wrapped up the development of three different systems and when I say system, we'll, we'll build a system and we'll run it. We may even run some production in our facility. 
uh, for a customer before we go and, and install all of the equipment on their floor. And we had just wrapped up the development and, and runoff here at ITI right when COVID hit, where we had just shipped equipment to three different places in the country. And that was a really interesting time to try to get that equipment set up on the customer's floor with our staff, obviously very concerned about the health. Nobody knew what was going on with COVID. Uh, at that point, there was a lot of fear and not a lot of uh, structure and how the country was going to manage it. And we, the credit of our guys and, and working with the customer and their staff and really battling through it. Uh, I mean, driving people to all corners of the country to do this work uh, in a really an exhausting process. Uh, well, everybody was still that, you know, battling things at home personally with their family and the risks and not knowing um, some of that challenging work that we got done and working really in partnership with the customer as they had, were dealing with their employees and concerns. Um, in my 30 years, that was probably the most challenging stretch of time to get that stuff up and running because they still had to make parts. They, they still had customers that needed parts and we had to keep going. And you, Tony, had talked about manufacturing and what an essential piece of the economy that it was very resilient and continues to be very resilient through COVID because we need to make things. And it kept people working. It kept our staff working and focused through the, the most difficult times of COVID because of the work that we were able to do. And, and to help our customers through that, uh, that's a more recent situation that, that could be very difficult in an installation. And I'm very proud of our team and, and the customers that we worked with at that time. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be watching this or listening to this that have similar stories. Uh, that's a good one. And you bring up a valid point as well. I saw a nice stat the other day of the hardest hit industries from COVID. And uh, the hardest hit, as you might imagine, is the movie industry with, you know, going to the theater and that kind of thing. Nobody was doing that for a while. And the, the industry that grew the most, which makes sense as well, was the delivery industry, you know, because of everyone ordering from Amazon or food or whatever it might be. Um, but in manufacturing, manufacturing, this is going to sound a little bit funny. Manufacturing was the number one the, or the least amount to lose. They were the top of the losers. How does that sound? The, the, peop, the industries that lost a little bit of money, manufacturing was the least to lose that. So didn't profit, but only just a couple of percentage in a very difficult year. So that goes to the strength of the necessity of engineering, even during tough times. So um, I definitely value that. Something else I'd like to bring up and give a shout out to is I believe you guys are affiliated with the uh, amazing folks at Maruka. And, uh, and, uh, my buddy Nick and I just did a, a great project together down in uh, Pennsylvania at Hardy machine. Um, what a, what a fantastic, I mean, I know you guys are really great at what you do, but what a fantastic company to work with as well. Yeah, we became part of Maroka in 2013. So, uh, although we operate completely independently, we're part of, uh, Maroka out of Japan, which is a global uh, uh, publicly traded firm uh, out of Osaka, Japan, and we work with uh, Maroka USA out of Kansas City, and then you know Nick out in New Jersey, which is uh, always an interesting 
I, I'm sure you found that too, getting to know Nick. He's, a, he's quite a personality. Uh, but it's been good for us. It, it's opened up uh, an opportunity for us to diversify and, and be part of a, a large organization. Uh, but we enjoy working with those guys for sure. I'd like to go back and make a comment on talking about uh, as far as difficult projects or whatever. One of the things that we have done or had in the past is I think they released four companies we got involved with when they were first starting into machining. And three of those companies are still customers of industrial tool. But the coolest thing about that was working with them to make them successful because they did not have any machining capability at that point. And uh, taking them from that to one of them that comes to, to mind, especially as an axle manufacturer that did not any do any actual machining and the first project we did with them was a fully automated four horizontal Toyota machining centers with three robots, inbound conveyors, 100% bore inspection, and they went right to 500,000 axle tubes a year on that project. And from that, it opened up all kinds of other new business for them. And to me, that's the most satisfying thing is to take somebody from, well, we think we have to make these axles, but we don't know how, to that's actually their business now and uh, make them successful. And uh, the four that come to mind, three of them are still customers. Uh, Lauren, that's, that's a, I love hearing that. And the reason I love hearing that is, is that last statement you made where they weren't doing it at all and now it's their business. And you help them create that. That to me is the significance of what you guys can provide, which is what people need to understand. Do you have a concept, an idea? What do you want to create? We can help you implement that in a way that allow you to, you know, stabilize yourself for years to come because you just also mentioned that three of them are still customers, you know? So, so that to me is, is the value and the testimonial that you guys offer to this industry, which I think should be emphasized on a regular basis. So well done with that. Uh, Matt, I can't get you to shut up. Would you like to add anything to this conversation, or are you just hanging out to li- to listen and learn like the rest of us? Well, it it uh, to have Lauren here is a treat. You know, um, with his wealth of experience and knowledge, um, there's not a single person in this building that doesn't uh, um, pay attention when he speaks. You know, so it uh, every time he's here, that it, it's a treat, and I get to learn something. Um, no, it's really interesting to listen to these guys. You know, I'm sorry I wasn't more chatter, but these guys have plenty to say. I got to learn a little bit about Steve here today, and it's really interesting. You know, so um, as I as I touched on earlier, I really work with a with a a group of very very talented people, and their talents aren't um, even though they are honed, they're not limited to just that. You know, as as Lauren stated, um, you know, you help people develop a process that that's their thing now. You know, it's not, you know, they're, they're not wondering how to do it. They become experts, you know, an industrial tool is a part of, of building that process and building that business form, which creates a, you know, a relationship. You know, you can call them customers, but these are, these are, um, for lack of a better term, it's, they're friends on industrial tool, yeah, you know, I mean, and, uh, and the, the amount of trust that this company actually builds with customers is, is really incredible. You know, it's. It's more than a business relationship. You know, um, Industrial Tool does some, you know, some amazing and extremely impressive things. 
And uh, the customers we work with are, are grateful for that. Um, one thing that that I would say is we don't do the easy stuff, you know. So it's uh, I don't I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, but um, we very rarely even talk about anything easy. It's we're here with a challenge, and um, and our engineering group and and the supporting staff is uh, is nine times out of ten, maybe even more than that, has an answer. And that and that one time out of ten, it's just too expensive. So it's, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you can do anything with money. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, yeah. so. I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think anybody ever accused an industrial tool of being cheap. No. Uh, the thing about an industrial tool is we're never going to be the cheapest, but we'll always provide the best value. And what we deliver, the way we take care of the customer once they have the equipment. Uh, you can't be the cheapest supplier necessarily and do a good job. You, it, you won't be in business. You won't be around. You have to be paid for what you do. And if you do the job right, the customer comes back again. And to touch on what Lauren said with value there, I read something about a month ago that I thought was very interesting, and I'm assuming it to be true. I didn't read it online. I read it on paper. But um, ITI is, is a company of value. And um, one thing, the thing that I read is that there is no international standard for value. So it's uh, the value from one customer to the next or from ITI to the customer, that needs to be identified. And I think we do a good job of, of finding out what value means to the customer up front. You know, um, some people, value is just the bottom line of the cost, but um, the support and the, um, and the quality that comes out of industrial tool, I think, truly defines the value. We've always had difficulty selling to a uh, purchasing group. We've not had difficulty selling to an engineering group. That makes complete and total sense, that last statement. Matt, I knew there was some wisdom in there. I just had to squeeze it out of you a little bit. I appreciate you sharing that. So, <laughs> so we're running, we're running, we're not running long because people are going to love listening to you guys. But I do want to close this out with two things. One, um, Pat, if you'd like to take this one, is just where can where can people find you? You know, LinkedIn, social sites, website. Go ahead and and shout that out. And then I'd like to go around the room. Um, and this, I'd like to just each of you give your best piece of advice. And you can think about what it, what you'd like it to be. It can be about engineering. It can be about personal life. And and I'll just kind of start that off by saying one of my favorite quotes is that you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, I think it's very important that we. Uh, appreciate who we are as humans and take care of ourselves so that we can provide for others, whether it be our work, our family, our lifestyle, whatever it might be. We can't spread ourselves too thin. And it's important for us to never pour from an empty cup. So make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, which allows us to take care of others more. So with that being said, guys, and giving you a little bit of time to think about it, which is sometimes why I'm long winded, please take it away. Well, I'll start it, Tony. Uh, we would love to talk to customers about products they might have. We're very active on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. You can follow Industrial Tool in those areas. Watch for the new content. We're always putting out information uh, daily in those platforms. You can obviously find us on the internet at industrial-tool.com and uh, look us up here in the Minneapolis area. We do work all over North America and would love to hear from any customers that have projects uh, or ideas that they're looking to improve their business. 
Uh, that's how it always starts for us. Pat, may I interrupt real quick, just to clarify, because I want to be sure for the, everyone who's listening. When you say North America, you mean Canada down to Panama, or how far do you go south? Yeah, we go at least in the in the Mexico, the deep parts of Mexico. We have several systems in Mexico and Canada that are running, um, and then throughout the U.S. So, okay, um, Mexico would be the as deep into that part of the, North America as well. Awesome. So now let's segue into the hard part before I let you guys off of this call which is the piece of advice you'd like to offer. And the reason I like this, this segment is because um, some people love to listen to us for our technical abilities and, and what we're able to offer to the industry. And some people listen to us because they're lacking a bit of inspiration in their life and they value the wisdom that come from guys like you. So make it as long-winded or as short-winded as you want. Make it as cliche or unique as you want. Totally up to you. Um, but just a small piece of advice for, for anyone. I'll, I'll go ahead and start, Tony, give these guys some more time to think about what they're going to come up with. But uh, I'll share the story that just happened recently. We had a young high school student that wanted to, you know, was going to be graduating this spring, wanted to look at some different options besides college. Came in and, and just shadowed our staff for a week to see different things in the industry. And that gave him the some clarity about going into a trade school and learning to do programming and uh, welding and things like that. There's so much uh, shortage in the United States of those, those skilled positions. And I think getting in and seeing what we do and seeing that it's not the dirty shop that it was uh, in the 60s and 70s and, and before that time that these shops are really nice technology with vision systems and robots and making all of that work, CNC machines, obviously, but the cutting edge of this stuff is operating at every single day. It was really eye-opening to that young student. And, I, and when I was very happy to bring that, that person in, and, and I would encourage anybody out there at a young age or, or any age that's maybe looking at it to spend some time and visit some local shops and see what's really happening, whether it's in automotive or aerospace or agriculture or medical, it's really mind-blowing the technology that's being used to make parts, make them accurately, make them um, in a dependable way, which leads to a tremendous amount of value, as Matt said. So I would encourage them to get out and, and visit some shops, and, and we're more than happy to, to share that. And um, Two pieces of data. Uh, one, one quick story. The for many years, probably about 15 years, I would carry with me an article that I took from a trade magazine about the world needs uh, machinists and welders. We don't need more web designers and lawyers. And I think yeah, people right. my age, well, I'm, I'm near 50 myself, that there's not a lot of people my age in this industry, which is unfortunate because so many uh, years went by in the 90s and, and early in the 2000s even where, where people were just pushed away from this industry. And I carried that article because even at that time, it was a shortage of people coming in. And it's really unfortunate uh, because kids were, were pushed away from the industry. I think there's a movement coming back. And even guys like Steve have talked about that. And I think there is a movement coming back to manufacturing, but there is a gap there. And, and working with a local trade school, uh, they have 28 job offers for every graduate that comes out of the 
Dunwoody Institute here in Minneapolis, which is a, a, a well-respected trade school, 28 job offerings for every graduate that they can pick from. And if there's no more motivation than that, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's a creative industry. It's a technically advanced industry. And there are well-paying jobs waiting for people if they want to choose that path. So uh, that's my Tony Robbins moment. I'll, I'll turn it over to the guys. Well, here's Very the well deal. Said. Thank you. <laughs> here's the deal. That's an inside joke. Because whenever I'm going to tell somebody about back in 1997, we built this. I say, well, here's the deal. Back in 97, we did this. So anyway. I think the big deal is that there's a lot of good kids coming out of college. And I think if we can, as an industry, team them up with the guys that have got the 30, 40 years of experience, that's the, the greatest thing we can do for those guys, those young guys coming into the business. Because like I've always told uh, Pat, I said, you know, experience is the best teacher, but the tuition's awful high. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have guys that I worked for that were willing to pay the tuition. <laughs> there wasn't, you know, so I, I just think that that's, uh, if we can take these younger guys coming out of school and we'll put them with people that have all these years of experience so they don't have to repeat some of the same, uh, go through some of the same problems and they can learn, they can learn so much from a guy that's been in the industry for a while. And I think that that's kind of part of industrial tools success is hiring younger guys, but having these old seasoned guys that uh, work with them. And I think that's what our whole industry needs. Because I go into these companies and I see they've got, they've hired a lot of young engineers, but they got, they don't have, they're not seasoned. They need a few seasoned guys. But now what I've seen, a couple of companies who work with, they're bringing in these old guys, <laughs> bringing them almost out of retirement. You know, and they have them come in like two, three days a week and work there just to help these guys through so they don't have to stumble. You know. I think that's yeah. some really powerful wisdom there. Thank you for sharing that, Lauren. Yeah, so, I mean, just from, from my standpoint, a quick message to the owners and presidents and people that are running companies. Um, as we've gone through a, a, a changeover, like many companies, with an older staff to, to a younger staff, as the oldest step moves towards retirement, it doesn't have to be a, a, an all or nothing scenario. We are very open to let uh, uh, staff that has 30, 40 years of experience remain in a part-time role, whatever that is for them, to make it work for them a day here, two days there, because that, that knowledge is so critical. And that's how I operate the business is that knowing that, yes, we do have a younger staff, but to really keep uh, that mentorship open with the older experienced staff that is moved to retirement, there is a, a nice, happy place for everybody to find. And I would encourage business owners to stay on that track. And it's been very good for us to continue to be the way that we operate uh, to close that gap. And uh, we've been very successful here. Love it, love it, man. Awesome stuff. So we got two more guys. Maybe they don't have any inspiration. Well, we, you've had enough time to think about it. You're probably going to give us something really good, right? I think so. So 
I'll just touch on a couple of things that Lauren and Pat have touched on here. Um, and looking at it from what ITI did for me, um, Pat's example about the high school kid, didn't really know what he wanted to do, just needed a little exposure. You know, I would say uh, a lot of people, a lot of younger, my generation and the Zoomers would think, you know, walk into a shop and they're going to just tell me to go go home. Well, I think you'd be surprised at how receptive most of these companies will be to just, just a not even like a mentorship, but just some exposure, get your feet wet, just see some stuff. And then the internship programs that a lot of companies are doing nowadays has just been just been great. And you know, you're getting a lot of these these college graduates that actually have some experience and can uh, apply themselves right out of the gate. Um, and like what Lauren was saying, as far as you know, the, the true mentorship from the from the older generation because there is this huge gap it seems it seems to be um this big gap in manufacturing and as far as age structure is concerned you got a lot of guys who are in their 50s getting ready to retire and then you got a lot of guys who are in their 20s early 30s and at iti anyway it's been a great mix the the engineers and the tool makers have all been very very responsive to each other and the engineers, you know, the young guys, they come in, we come in and we're vision this and robotics this, and I can program around that and I can do this. Well, you know, that's great too. And that adds a lot of value because they are so in tune with that world because, you know, one of, one of the best robot programmers we have, he games, he's gamed his entire life. He's in his low thirties and he's, He's a gamer and nobody teaches a robot point like Joe. The guy can thread a needle. And you, you have that. And then you have the, the tried and true toolmaker that brings so much value that people don't even see. You know, even these younger guys, now they see it. But right away, they're just like, who's this old guy? Well, this old guy is the guy that's making it work before you get to touch it. So there's... There's respect both ways, and it's been just great. And um, it's it's you don't have to. I just want to say one thing. You know, as far as the millennials and the the Zoomers coming out of college, you don't have to go work at these giant companies. You don't need that. Don't get hung up on that. There's probably a shop within 30 miles of where you live that will give you a more fulfilling experience, honestly. So, and they probably would, they would appreciate your help and your work more than the mega giants of the world that they will too, not saying that, but you don't have to move. You don't have to relocate. You don't have to go and, and chase down, you know, John Darren Polaris. So, or Boeing. So there's opportunity everywhere. And the job market for manufacturing is wide open. If you want to work and you want to join the group, join the group. And it is sexier than it's ever been. <laughs> uh, way to close that one out. That's really, really great advice. I appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing with our audience as well. Um, Matt, what do we got, buddy? 
Well, you know, Steve, Steve brought up a really, a really good term here. And I, I think it uh, emulates, you know, of, of how industrial tool works within itself. And Steve had mentioned just the respect, you know, between um, the, the older guys and the younger guys and from department to department. Um, industrial tool does a really good job of, of teamwork, you know, and that's one thing that I asked when I was interviewing here, you know, is it a team atmosphere? And uh, and I was told yes immediately on that, and, and I've never doubted it since. Um, <clears throat> fortunately, when I when I entered the workforce, my dad gave me some advice. He said, "Pay attention to these older guys that you start working with." And um, I've been really lucky in the in the different uh, jobs that I've worked to have some guys that have been at the company for 20 years or in the industry for longer than that, and I. Uh, I think I did a good job of paying attention and we have that here at industrial tool. And as Pat had pointed on, you know, we've got different arms all underneath the same roof, but all those arms work together here at industrial tool and uh, really make things happen. Cause we know there's a, there's a bigger project in the end, you know, it's the customer satisfaction and, and their success. Um, and to touch on, you know, Pat's number of, of uh, 28 offers per, grad at Dunwoody, Steve and I and another engineer, we went to a career fair shortly before um, COVID got going, I think fall of 2019, and at a uh, at a college down in Iowa, I think it was Iowa State, but uh, never heard of it. Pat had, <laughs> Pat had warned us. He said, it's going to start slow, but these kids are going to come out of the woodwork. And um, I suppose the first 40 minutes or so were we'd get a couple trickle in and then it was 10 deep. Oh, yeah. It was just, and there was three of us fielding questions for these, for these people seeking an internship and showing interest in industrial tool. Um, you know, as, as these older guys retire, you know, there is a gap, but, but, but they're passionate. You know, if you've got a life's work, you're passionate about it. They don't want to take those secrets with them. They want to teach these kids. And, um, like Steve said, you don't need a, a giant place. You know, a place like this is more than willing to, to teach you to keep things, keep manufacturing moving forward. And um, it's just a, I would say that uh, passion is one thing that really exists here at Industrial Tool. These guys, all of us really care about the, the final product and, and making everyone successful. Well, guys, I really, truly appreciate you all being a part of this show. Um, from sharing a little bit about yourself, where you come from, your company, where your capabilities are at your company to a piece of wisdom here at the end. Uh, all four of you, absolutely, I'm grateful. Thank you for being a part of the gun show. It's certainly been fun. Is there anything you guys would like to throw out before we close this thing out uh, as a last minute you know, tidbit for anyone? The industry is going to be in great hands. There is a big movement. We see at the high school level, kids are getting Excited. Keep doing what you're doing, Tony. Reaching out to the kids through platforms that they they know. I mean, we we sponsor a local robotics team. That high school program is unfortunate. COVID kind of sidelined that for a while. This industry is going to be in great shape. It really is going to be in great shape. There is this big movement that I see uh, at the college level, at the high school level. Kids are getting excited. You're tapping into that, uh, and the folks at MTD and and, and the energy you bring, Tony, is fantastic. Uh, the industry is going to be in great shape. I think that the robotics is leveling the worldwide playing field because equipment costs are the same no matter where you are. Uh, so if you can drive the labor cost out, 
And the quality, uh, I don't care what you say, the quality of what's done in the United States is still better than a lot of other places where uh, products are sourced. So uh, the robotics uh, can re, re, uh, kind of revitalize this industry. Awesome, guys. I absolutely agree. So Pat, Lauren, Matt, Steve, or should I have said the old man slash godfather of the machining industry. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone listening, this is MTD Global's presentation of the gun show, and we are here with Industrial Tool. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony.